um, sharing a little bit of a story about firing a, a bow, an arrow up in the air, and the, 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 bow was coming, the arrow was coming down, and I hadn't quite thought the whole picture through, and suddenly realized that arrow could land on me, uh, and just had to run for my life. And I was using that as an illustration of, um, we really, you know, we're, we're called to get to know Jesus, we, we, that's um, part of our journey is to know what, and Jesus repeatedly tells us to count the cost, to recognize what it is to be his disciple, get to grips with what it is we're talking about when we're being his disciple. And I think it's very important for us to have the whole picture of what that is. Um, and so, yeah, it was this, Jesus has the illustration of who, who would build a tower um, and not count the cost, not look into what is involved. And so part of this season we're doing on knowing Jesus, it's a chance for us to get into it, to look at what it means to be a disciple, to really engage with that. Because sometimes I think we can end up with like a borrowed version of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We're following somebody who's following Jesus, following somebody who's following somebody else who's following Jesus. And we end up a little bit further away from actually really knowing Jesus, really grasping who he is and putting that in our lives and living our lives with that reflection. Um, one of the key passages for me when I was looking through it all was, who do men say that I am? Do you remember that one? So Jesus asks his disciples, I think it's one of the most important passages, it's kind of the turning point in the Gospels. Jesus asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? And some of them say, uh, oh, well, they say you're a prophet like uh, Elijah or... Um, John the Baptist or one of those guys, and they're recognizing him in a certain way. They're recognizing him as a prophet, and a prophet's somebody who comes and tells the world how to live, and, and sometimes the prophets do miracles, and so they're seeing Jesus in that light. You are a prophet, um, and so that's what they're saying they know about him, um, and, and these are the people who've actually met Jesus on the earth, right? These are genuinely people who've met him, but what they see, what they know of Jesus is stuck at that level. He's a prophet. And then Jesus says to his disciples, who are closer to him, who by being closer to Jesus know a little bit more about him, he says, who do you say that I am? And they say, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And that, that's two revelations. One is the Messiah is the fulfillment of um, God's plan to restore Israel and through Israel bless the whole of the world. So there's this redemptive plan for the world encapsulated in that idea. So they've seen that about Jesus. And then there's also uh, the Son of God is the title for the, the ruler. So that was uh, Caesar Augustus' title at the time. And they're saying, we see that as well. We recognize that in them. So they've, they've got to know something a few steps beyond. Then we carried on to point, Jesus really affirms that and he's like thrilled with that answer. Um, and he says, God's shown you that. That's amazing. But then this really interesting thing. He says, don't go and tell anybody. Don't go and tell anybody. And we're like, why? Why could that be? And as we carried on looking through the passage, we noticed that he immediately starts to teach them that, they must, that he must go to the cross to die and to be raised again. And that they haven't calculated that. They haven't factored that in, in their understanding of Jesus. They've got this plan for him, this trajectory of who he is, but they haven't factored it in, um, that that Knowing Jesus in death and resurrection is actually um, the full picture of who Jesus is. So, that was your recap. Is it ringing any bells? Good. Um, 
So I wanted us to focus, begin with this, this idea a little bit that um, how we act, and we can see that in the, with this with the disciples, that how we act um, is often the best indication of what we believe. How we act is often the best indication of what we believe, and, and that's so tied together with this, this um, series of knowing Jesus. What you believe about Jesus, what you know about Jesus, will affect how you act, and it will affect how you follow him as a disciple. So that's why it's so vitally important for us to know him uh, in different ways. So let, let me give you an example. Um, when I was young, my dad um, had a, a, like a, a house group in his house, and it was part of a, a, a sort of church movement at the time that really just got its teeth into praying for the sick, they were really, and they were seeing lots of results, like super, that's all they did, pray for the sick, you know, they went around praying for everybody all the time, but like, it really was a move of God, there was a lot of people healed, and you know, I, I remember growing up seeing all that stuff, I mean, it was pretty amazing, there was queues of people outside our house um, wanting to come and get prayed for when I was a kid, it was flipping like, what's going on here? Um, and my dad now is, uh, he's just, that's, he really knows God in that light. That, you know, he, he will pray for anybody. Literally, like, he, if he gets his chance, he wants to pray for people to be healed. The other day, I, uh, I needed him to help me lift some wood on, onto a, the car. We were picking up some shelves that I'd bought from this guy. Um, and so I went to his house, and we were picking up all this wood, and this guy says, oh, sorry, I can't help you. I'm a bit sick. I've got these, uh, you know, these health problems, and they were pretty serious. He starts telling us all about them. And straight away, because I know my dad, I thought, I know where this is going. Because <laughs> like, I grew up with this kind of like, oh, no. Um, I, know, I know what he's going to do. This is definitely ending up with like a, can I pray for you? Can I? And so in the middle of the street, in front of all this guy's neighbors, my dad's like, Jesus, you know, like praying for this guy to be healed. But the thing is, that's what he knows. He's seen that over and over again. He's prayed for so many people and seen them healed. That's, that's how he knows God. He, his faith is um, alive in that area. And so he will pray for anybody. If you ever want anybody to pray for you, uh, for healing, like my dad, you can't stop him. You're like, um, for me, <clears throat> I've had a different experience of that. Um, although I have seen all those things um, as a child, but as I grew up, I really uh, got to know a God who, um, whenever I, I needed a big kind of, the, the, you know, sort of the direction of your life, some, some doors to open, some doors to close, something like I've moved country uh, six times when I, I was counting. You know, I've been uh, Australia and back, Romania and back, Australia and back again. And during all those times, you need a lot of like really big things. There was a time when I needed money, somebody shoved some money through my letterbox like I have still no idea 2,000 pounds it was through my letterbox um, still no idea but I've known God to move in that way in my life I have this sense of confidence that I know when I come up against it um, in those areas God will move and I, I know it and so it dictates how I act so whereas my dad will walk up to and pray for any old Tom and Dick and Harry on the street, he'll just do it, and you can't stop him. I also have this sense of confidence that when I need God to move in my life, when I'm up against it and I don't know what to do, he will move. So can you see how I'm saying? What you know about God, what you really know. I mean, you could say it, you could say it in your head, but what you, how you act dictates how you know. So the fact that I'm willing to just make these decisions and go some, you know, somewhere like that because I know God is with me. 
Have you experienced that in your own life? Is there areas where you know God is with you? Um, so first of all, I want us to sort of challenge ourselves a little bit. So how are we acting? And what does that say about the Jesus that we know? Do we sometimes act like Jesus is a prophet? So he's got really important things to say about how the world should be. That's what prophets often did. The world should be like this, not like that. Do we say, yeah, yeah, Jesus got important things to say. And prophets sometimes did miracles. Um, and I could do with the occasional God intervention. So do we keep, is that how we act? We say, you know, will we keep it at that level sort of thing? I mean, it is a revelation. Jesus was acting in that prophetic ministry and he performed miracles. But do we just cap it there? Is that how, what our actions say about us? Is that where we live our life on that understanding? Or like the disciples, do we know a little bit more? Have we moved a bit closer to Jesus? Um, and seeing that the fact that he's actually the fulfillment of some big picture that the world, um, it, God is unfolding through the world. And that Jesus is actually, the start, what's happening in Jesus is the redemption of mankind. And somehow we're moving to, into a different uh, way of understanding God and a different standing before God. And, and do we see that? And that might be through recognizing our need for forgiveness or recognizing our need to just keep coming back to him over and over again in our lives. Is that is that what we've seen of God and recognize him as the rightful ruler? That's how the disciples see Jesus. But even with that revelation, there was something more. There was something more that they needed to see. He said, and he immediately began to teach them that he had to die and be raised from the dead. And they had to follow him, pick up their cross and go with him. And there's something about that. And what does that look like in your life? Is, what does that look like? So we might be here and we have this view. Or we might... Can you see what I'm saying? How we act is what we really believe. And so our challenge is, do we know Jesus at that level of somebody we follow? Are we following Jesus, picking up our cross and being willing to follow him? Now, I focused quite a lot on the, the idea of death last week. And so I was really wanted to challenge myself to look at this from the point of view of resurrection. Really, Because we don't just follow Jesus into death which we talked about as bringing our life into subjection, really giving over the sovereignty of our life, our right to rule in all the different areas of our life, being willing to bring that to, to Jesus and to go into death. And all the different areas, our family life, our relationships, the way we plan on bringing success into our lives, that's our sovereignty. I have a plan for success for my life. I have a plan uh, of how my family should look. And are we willing to bring that to Jesus and to truly seek first the kingdom of heaven? Um, and then all things will be added unto us. Are we willing to do that? But I also want to look a little bit more at this idea of resurrection. What does it mean to be resurrected with Jesus? What does it mean to understand that, to know Jesus as the resurrected Savior? And for that, what would that look like in our lives? All right, so... To do this, I really wanted to focus in on a lot of the, the stories, uh, the accounts of the disciples' interactions with Jesus after he was crucified. So the resurrected Jesus. So there's a few. I'm just going to jog your memories very quickly. So first of all, Mary, she encounters Jesus at the tomb. And um, she thinks he's the gardener. Do you remember? She's like, oh, he's the gardener. What's going on here? And then he says to her, um, don't cling to me. Like, I've got to go. And so she, she doesn't quite recognize him. And then she does immediately. Something resonates and she knows it's Jesus. But there's, So there's something different about Jesus at this point, the resurrected Jesus. Um, 
disciples on the road to Emmaus. So there's disciples, they're walking along the road to Emmaus, and they're talking about everything that's gone on in, in Jerusalem. Jesus being put to death, and now people are saying, the tomb's empty, what's going on here? And Jesus comes alongside them and walks with them, but they don't immediately recognize it's him. And he walks with them and starts to unlock the Bible for them and, and starts to help them understand all the different bits of the Bible and how they relate to him and who he is. And the, they say their hearts are burning within them. And then there's this little bit where they, he says he would have carried on with them. Um, and he said, oh, we'll carry on going with you for a bit. And they're like, oh, no, we want to stop here. And he says, well, all right, I'll come and stop here. There's all these kind of details in the, in the account which give it this really kind of fresh eyewitnessy account feel to it and then they go down and they break bread with them and then they recognize suddenly they see who it is so the other ones are the road to Emmaus the disciples are in a locked room for fear of the Jews do you remember that one so they're they're, they're together no one can get in and out and they're afraid that they're going to be done in so they're, they're waiting in this room Jesus appears in the midst and then it's all like touch my hands guys you know touch my side feel me and then um, he's eating fish um, he eats some fish in front of him they're like he's eating fish what's going on here and then Thomas who we all refer to as doubting Thomas meets with uh, Jesus because he wasn't there with the rest of them so he gets his own private meeting and then uh, Peter finally and that's the one where he says um, uh, Peter do you love me uh, and, and Peter says, yeah, you know, I love you. And he says it three times. And Peter's really upset about this. He says it three times. And then he gives him his commission and tells him how he's going to die. So these, these are the, the uh, interactions the disciples have with Jesus after he's been resurrected. And then it carries on in the book of Acts as well and also Paul as well. But th- these are the particular ones I wanted to look at. So, first of all, they, these accounts they have this amazing quality to them of a real kind of eyewitness sort of thing. There's details in there. They're quite, they like to talk about him eating fish quite a lot. It's how many times he eats fish and, you know, wow, he's eating fish. They're like, really excited about that. And then there's all these, like, I was going to go on and he was going to come with me. And they have this really kind of, they're exploring and they're putting the details down because they really think it's important that you understand um, something of the quality of what happened. It's not about the teaching. It's about the reality of something that's happening in front of them. So, First of all, I want us to look at the resurrection. What does it mean? What, you know, what does it mean for us, but what does it mean in general? I think sometimes our idea of resurrection can be a bit fuzzy. So if you look at the history of Christianity, you can actually read various different people's ideas of what the resurrection is, and you can track it, and people have done this and, and looked into how the church has understood resurrection over the years, and Around the Middle Ages, like 500,000 years ago, they start to have, oh, heaven's the other one as well that you can sort of follow people's understanding of heaven. I think sometimes we're a bit fuzzy on that. Has anybody experienced this kind of slightly fuzzy idea of what heaven is? Um, And around the Middle Ages, they start to have these ideas of heaven. um, And you can see it appearing, it's your sort of classic one, angels on clouds and harps or getting prodded with a pitchfork in hell. And these are your two options kind of thing. And this appears around like um, 1,000 AD and, um, well, 1,500, you know, sometime around there, these ideas. And with it, this, this kind of 
slightly fuzzy understanding of what is actually the gospel understanding of resurrection. The word resurrection gets a bit fuzzy too. And so people are not that sure whether resurrection is, is that how we get into heaven? Is that a way of describing the, the journey, how we resurrected into heaven? Or, or, you know, what is it? So I don't know if that's your understanding or not, but when I grew up, I was like, I wasn't quite sure about what I was supposed to think about heaven, you know, and, and everybody just sort of in a hurry to get there. Like, is that really, you know, what life is like? N.T. Wright describes it as, are we just planting roses in a, in a garden that's about to be plowed off a cliff or something? You know, is that, is that what living in this life is like and we're just waiting to get to heaven? Or, you know, and, and so I think I, I grew up with a bit of that fuzziness myself. The disciples were not fuzzy at all on what resurrection meant. They weren't fuzzy to start off with. So at the time, for them, resurrection meant only one thing. Because it's not, to, to us, it could be maybe, you know, our society has accepted ideas of metaphorical resurrection and uh, resurrection into, a, into heaven and all these kind of things. To them, it meant only one thing, because there was a debate going at the time. And they're saying... Is the resurrection a thing? They want to know. And the Pharisees believe the resurrection is a thing. The Sadducees, they don't believe the resurrection. But their image is, you live your life, you go into the ground, you're dead. And then you come back out again. God resurrects you and, and makes you to live again. That's their idea of the resurrection. That's, that's the only image they have in their minds. Um, there's no confusion about it whatsoever. And... So you can see at the time, as you read through the Gospels, Jesus is speaking to them about the resurrection. They're, they're challenging him. In the resurrection, will this happen? And he's saying, no, you're actually wrong. In the resurrection, this will happen. And so there's a debate going on. But that's what they're talking about. This idea of being bodily raised out of the ground to live again. That's what it means to them. Now, the interesting things is, so they're wondering whether this is a real thing. They're wondering, you know, is the resurrection real? And Jesus starts in his ministry to talk about it. Son of man die and will be resurrected and all this kind of thing. And they're engaging with it. But still, they're sort of working on this idea that Jesus is going to take over and rule the world and maybe dispose the Romans from power. Depose the Romans from power. Maybe dispose as well. Um, it's all part of the same thing, I suppose. Um, and so that's the idea that they're working with. Of, of is that what, what's going on and not quite sure. And then all of a sudden, this thing happens. Jesus is put to death. He's in the ground and then he's resurrected. And he's standing right in front of them. He's literally there in front of them. So this question they've had um, that they've been going over in their minds as a culture over and over again, what's, is the resurrection real? It's standing right in front of them. So that's why these accounts are the way they are. That they're like, is he a ghost? We don't quite know. And the one can I touch him? Yeah, you can touch him. We've put our hands in his, uh, in his nail prints. You can see him. You can touch him. But he appears in front of us, and yet, he, um, um, you know, it was a locked room, and, and we we recognised him, but we didn't recognise him at first. And what they're doing is getting to grips with what a resurrected person looks like. Because for them, they have literally just seen the evidence that God has an, a plan to resurrect the whole of the world, to, to bring it back to life again. And that is the big picture that we're looking at. 
And this picture that they have completely changes their worldview. They're, they're absolutely blown away so much that they live the rest of their lives just desperate to tell everybody about it. The resurrection is real. We've seen it. Jesus is there. He eats fish. We don't know how this all fits together. But they're, they're running around telling everybody what the resurrection is. They're so excited about it. So now you can see what happens when somebody has encountered the resurrection, when somebody has that hope that this life is not all that there is. This life is important, but it's not all that there is. And God has a plan to resurrect us. And what that means, that then they live their lives differently. They're willing to do anything. They immediately set off and, uh, you know, take the message to the rest of the world. It's that important. Everything falls into line with that truth now. And they're, they're willing to go to their deaths because now they've seen this bigger picture. The resurrection is a real thing. Can you see how their actions show what they believe? And that's the challenge for us. When we bring it right down, do our actions show that we believe in the resurrection? That we believe that this is a reality? Or do we just sort of keep it at the, the prophet level? Jesus has some really good things to say. You should definitely listen to him. You know, we should, like I was saying about Facebook, we should like and share. But we're following Jesus. But are we really following Jesus into death? And into resurrection and comprehending, knowing him in that. Because it affects how you live your life. So that, I guess, is my challenge for us, first of all, is to look into it yourself. Read those passages. Try and engage. Try to know Jesus, the resurrected Savior. What does that mean for us? What hope does it give us as humanity? How, how can we put that together with the, the world we see around us that just carries on regardless of what you think? It just carries on. But how can we live our lives with that hope? Um, one thing that always challenges me is, you know, I, I met a lot of people growing up who were like, I just want to go off to heaven or, you know, whatever it was that they're understanding. And they lived this idea with life um, as I'm just waiting for it to be over. You know, I'm just retreating at, from the world and just waiting for it to be over. And I think um, that for me needs answering. How are we, if, and I think Paul tries to answer this question as well, but how, if, we're, if we believe in this resurrection, if we have this Christian hope, how are we then to live our lives here on earth? And this, I have this illustration which I find useful, um, corresponds to the fact that I used to watch too many westerns when I was a kid. Um, so you imagine this western town, it doesn't have to be a western town, but it does for me. So, and you know, it's the kind of typical story. All the townsfolk are there, and there's something wrong. Some, there's some bully in town who is buying up all the land, usually, to do a railroad or mining or something like that. And they're going around, and they're picking on everybody. And something's out of joint in this town. It doesn't, it's not quite how it should be. And then um, the word gets around that the sheriff is coming to town. And the, the idea of, um, you know... Sometimes I think Christians get this idea of judgment as it's going to be a bad thing. Oh, God is coming to judge the world. But actually, the idea of uh, judgment to the, in the first century was the sheriff is coming to straighten everything out. And so the sheriff is coming to town to straighten, straighten things out in this town. So then the question uh, arises, how ought I to act 
We know he's coming. We know these things are going to be restored. But how are I to act in the meantime? Do I go around like acting like everybody else because, well, he's not here yet? No, that's not how we act. You start to act as if in the knowledge and the realization that the sheriff is coming to town to, to set things in order. So that's how we live our lives here on earth. Yes, we have this hope of the resurrection, but we live now in the, t- in the western town with the hope that everything will be put in order. And that says to us we have to act a certain way. So it has a really big implication for how we live now, not just for, um, oh, I can't wait till this town's over and done with and I can go off and live somewhere else. Or, you know, that's not, that's not the Christian hope. We live in hope now and act now. Because you don't want to, as Jesus says, you don't want to be the servant that when his master comes back, he finds him beating his other servant, his fellow servant. You, that's, you don't want to be that guy. You want to be the guy who's doing the right thing. Right, so that's a kind of general big picture implications of the resurrection. But I also think there's a deeply personal, and we wanted to just wrap it up with this final uh, aspect, is the personal journey that people go on with this resurrected Jesus as they're encountering him. So one of my favorite bits of this is the story of Thomas. We often call him Doubting Thomas, right? And I think that's a bit harsh. You know, it's a little bit harsh. So for, for instance, just, uh, you know, to put the case forward for Thomas, earlier on in, uh, in the gospel, in, in the book of John, we, re- we read that he was willing to go to his death. He, sa- he says, Jesus is off to die. We might as well go with him and die with him. That's the right thing to do. That's Thomas. He says that. And I think about Thomas sometimes, and he's got this kind of, in my mind, I don't know if this is fair, but in my mind, he's a Yorkshireman. He's become the like, <laughs> ultimate northerner. Let's say northerner, that includes more of us. Sorry if you're southerner. <laughs> but that kind of like, because he's got this, I'll believe it when I see it kind of vibe. You're not going to take me for a ride. You know, I think, <laughs> when I was thinking about this, I, I was thinking about like the ultimate Yorkshireman sort of won't even pick up his phone these days because every time he picks it up, someone's just trying to scam him. So I'm just not going to even bother picking it up. Just pull it out the wall because nobody is taking me for a ride. Um, but he's also got that incredible kind of sense of um, loyalty as well. He's willing to go to his death. And uh, so I really like this. And the other thing is, right, so Jesus has appeared the risen Jesus has appeared to the other disciples and they all got to shove their hands in his uh, nail prints and, and encounter him and feel him. Wow, like how did he appear? And yet we can touch him. And they're all going on about this has happened. And Thomas, he wasn't even there. Like how unlucky is that? The resurrected Jesus appears before him and Thomas is somewhere else, down at Aldi doing the shopping or something. He was just, <laughs> he's just not there. Like it doesn't say why. He was just I'm like, oh. I really relate to this guy. He doesn't want to be taken for a ride. Like, everybody else has seen something, and he's like, well, I didn't see it. And unless I see it, you know, like, what good's that to me? Anyway, what I love about this, Thomas encounters Jesus. Jesus makes a special trip back just for Thomas. Um, because uh, Thomas says, unless I see the nail prints in his hands and put my hand in the side, I'm not going to believe. And he's asking for ev- evidence you know, he's saying, look, I find this whole thing pretty hard to believe. I don't know if you relate to that sometimes when you think about the resurrection and all that. It, it should be hard to believe. 
It is pretty hard to believe. And, and so I think it's natural for us to want that. But Jesus comes to him. Jesus is willing. He appears to him and says, here, Thomas, have a good prod. You can have a look. You know, satisfy yourself that it's real. And I love that. Because Jesus is willing. This resurrected Jesus is willing to work with our doubts. He's willing to work with us where we're at. And even though the implications for this are huge and we want to embody it and live it in our lives, he recognizes that for the disciples, they need to see him eating fish. It's the thing, you know, because they want to know that he's not, um, he's not a, a ghost. They're trying to wrap their heads around what is going on here. This person is like the firstborn of the resurrection. He's the new creation or something. What's he like? Can we engage with it? What, you know, and so he comes to Thomas. He also comes to Peter. And Peter is in his kind of state of a little bit of shame. He knows he's, he said he was all it and a bit. You know, we talked about Peter, didn't we, a few months back. And um, how much he's like, I'm in, I'm in. And then all of a sudden, at the biggest point of his conviction, he's, he's exposed. He actually wasn't all in. He, you know, he actually wasn't the person he said he was. And he's just filled with the shame. And Jesus comes and meets Peter, the resurrected Jesus, and comes and meets Peter at his point of shame and restores him and asks him three times. Um, like he denied Jesus three times and he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And then he also gives him a commission and sends him off to feed his sheep. Now, the more I looked at this and the more I looked at the story of Thomas and the more I looked at the story of how Jesus unfolds who he is to the disciples on the road through scripture I started to recognize something I started to recognize Jesus revealing who he is through the Bible Jesus dealing with our doubts and how this work you know and then Jesus restoring our shame and our brokenness and commissioning us to send us off I started to recognize that's the Jesus I know the best I actually recognize that resurrected Jesus He's the one who, who's speaking into my life. He's the Jesus I know, the Jesus who deals with my doubts, the Jesus who deals with my shame when I've got it wrong and builds me back up again. That is the resurrected Jesus. And we know him. We know that Jesus. And can you see, it actually that Jesus that is engaging with the disciples in a way looks more like the Jesus we know than the, the Jesus who was there on earth walking around and being there, doing this and that. Like it's the same Jesus, but this resurrected new creation Jesus, that's the Jesus I know. So I have a witness in my heart that this Jesus who I read about in the Bible, this resurrected Jesus, is the same one who's in my life. The same one who's staring me on the road, the same one who I've experienced and, and comes to me when I'm low and I'm like, I don't even know if this is real sometimes. And he's the one who comes and, and says, I am real, feel my, you know, engage with me, see what's going on. I hope that's of some, uh, connects with you because that yeah. deeply to me, when as I looked at this, I was, oh, especially Thomas, I was like, I love this guy. Yeah. You know, he, he's so real, he's so, and, then, and I saw so much of myself in that. And then, Jesus, it's the same one. So my challenge for us is what, how, what does how we act say about what we know about Jesus? And th there may be some shortcomings in that. You know, there may be, it may well be that actually we act like he's a prophet most of the time. Or it may well be that, yeah, we get the idea of some of those 
higher truths that are there, but do we really live our lives in a way that says we believe in the resurrection hope, we believe the whole world has been, something as huge has been revealed, something absolutely earth-shattering, a different kind of resurrected person, the firstborn of a new creation, he's here right with us. So much so that the disciples started the day of the week again on Sunday um, to reflect that this is the new creation. Well, you know, from now on, it started again. The whole calendar started again from Sunday because Jesus was resurrected on a Sunday. He's the firstborn of a new creation. Do we live like we really get that? And I, I think sometimes we don't. But within that, this Jesus who I see, this personal Jesus comes and helps us with our unbelief. He helps us with our shame. He helps us with our commission into life and tells us what to do and guides us along the way. He's there for us. And I want to get to know that Jesus even more. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we want to know you in our lives. We want to know you as the Jesus we follow into death, but also the Jesus we follow into resurrection. We want to know this resurrected Jesus who interacts with his disciples, who walks with them and talks with them and steers them and guides them and restores them and reveals himself to them. That's who we want in our lives. Come and be in our lives. Help us know you through this message that we've just heard now and through the messages that we hear as we go forward. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.